When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A note of warning. In this episode of Inside Schizophrenia, we discuss disturbing and intrusive thoughts involving violence and self-harm. You're listening to Inside Schizophrenia, hosted by Rachel Starr Withers, an advocate who lives openly with schizophrenia. We're talking to experts about all aspects of life with this condition. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia, a Helpline Media podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Star Withers, here with my amazing co-host, Gabe Howard. Sudden impulsive thoughts to harm yourself or others, confusing, delusional thoughts, thoughts commanding you to do things, all of these are terrifying to experience. A breakdown in the thought process is a hallmark of schizophrenia. But what about intrusive thoughts? When does an intrusive thought become delusional and something a person might act upon? Today, we're going to be discussing disturbing and unusual thoughts and schizophrenia. As someone with schizophrenia, this is one of the scariest things to open up about because I'm afraid that if I tell people I have these thoughts, then they will immediately consider me dangerous, which begs the question, am I dangerous if I have disturbing thoughts? Joining us later in the show is marriage and family therapist Cassie Love, who specializes in working with people having unusual thoughts or experiences. So let's jump right in, Rachel. What are intrusive thoughts? I thought I I knew. I mean, isn't it in the word? (laughs) Intrusive thoughts, thoughts that just pop into your head that you don't really think are yours. If you've ever been like driving down the road and you suddenly had this thought like, I should just swerve. That's a common one that people have and not people with schizophrenia that people have. That's what's really important is that everybody, for the most part, will have at some point in their life this random little inappropriate thought that you don't even know where it comes from. So intrusive thoughts tend to be unexpected thoughts or images that just pop into your head that are strange and can be very distressing. They're usually unwanted and unpleasant. Content could be aggressive. It could be violent. It could be sexual. It could also just be like, weird. (laughs) Just like stuff that you're like, why would I, what? Like, why would I do that? Just something that's abnormal for your character. The real reality of this is, is it's something that you don't want, but you can't control and you're afraid that you're going to act on. I I know that we've learned in obsessive compulsive disorder that, that some of these thoughts can cause real problems. Like for example, you hit a pothole, but the obsessive thought, the intrusive thought is, was it a pothole? Could I have hit a person? And this, of course, makes you turn around and go check. Now, of course, you realize it was a pothole and that provides relief. But think of the number of speed bumps, potholes, and things that you could hit every single day. And if you're constantly turning around and doing this, it could make you late for work. You're probably not going to tell your employer that the reason that you're late for work is because you thought you hit somebody. So as far as your employer is concerned, you're just late for work. That's just one analogy and and one way that these intrusive thoughts can cause real damage to somebody's life. Are intrusive thoughts considered a symptom of schizophrenia? And if you're asking me, I'm like, yeah, I have very intrusive thoughts. They're, They're some of the things that worry me the most because they're very intense and strong when they hit me. A thought that distresses me a lot that I have almost daily is to smash my head into the wall. And I usually get it when I'm walking down the stairs of my house, which happens, you know, multiple times a day, just randomly going about my day. And then I suddenly have this intense smash your head into the wall, almost as if it's like someone hollering for me to do it. And this intense urge. And it's every time it happens, I'm like, whoa, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> It happens a lot. It's very out of the blue. And I'll I'll even be around people and it'll happen where it'll just randomly I'll have something like bash your face into this. Um, What I struggled with for many years was cut your face off. 
and this is the reason we had the warning at the beginning of this episode, but I wanted to be real that that's a common thought. And it worried me. I didn't want that thought, but I couldn't, I couldn't make it go away. And then it almost gets stuck in my head. And it had images that came with it. And every time I looked in the mirror, I saw myself without my face. And it really, it, it took over. A thought that I, I'm really ashamed to talk about is, and it only happened once, but it, it bothered me. It was so distressing. I was walking behind one of my family members and I suddenly, I got the thought to, to push them down and um, stomp on them. It, it was so jarring. Like it literally terrified me that the thought was in my head. And I, I, I mean, this was years ago and I still feel bad about it. That's how much it's bothered me. Rachel, that 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 sounds absolutely terrible. And I, I've known you for years, and I, I know that you wouldn't push anybody down and, and stomp on them. So I, I think that's a, a really great example of an intrusive thought because it, it's so out of character for you. It, it's nothing that you would do, but it's also something that you can't control. Now, it, you, you've been dealing with this for a long time. You, you, are, you are well in recovery. You're able to talk about this. You, you've gotten a lot of support and a lot of help. And you've you've clearly developed coping skills, but I, I, I think our audience would like to understand this from from month one, from from year one. How did you understand they were intrusive thoughts? How were you able to cope with them? How were you able to not respond to them? How were you able to identify it as an intrusive thought and run interference so that you're not smashing your head against the wall? I'm being very real in this. Um the very specific one of smash your head into the wall started when, when I was young. And the answer is I, I did it. And that's been a, uh, I've, I've done it multiple times. And I, I once gave myself a concussion and kind of blacked out from it. And it, when it happens, it's a very intense urge to do it. Now I, I can say I haven't done it in years, but I have that, and I don't want to say a command thought, but it is. It's an intrusive, intense urge thought to do it almost daily. The good thing about all that is that, yeah, I'm really used to it. <laughs> I've had it for so long that when it happens now, I'm not like, whoa, whoa, do I think not. It's, uh, you know, it pops up in my head and I acknowledge it. And I'm just kind of like, not going to do that. That came out of nowhere. It's distressing. And when it happens, I'm not going to lie. I look at the wall, you know, and I'm usually, you know, within hitting distance of it. It's an impulse. And I've been able to learn to recognize it by the fact that it's so common with me. And that's the part that's scary because sometimes they come up and they're not common. Uh, last year, I started having these very strange thoughts and they're very distressing. And they were basically you're a fat pig. You're ugly. You need to slice off the fat. Those were very disturbing to me because that's not something I would say. I would never in my life call someone a fat pig. So the fact that the thoughts in my own head said that were bizarre to me. And like, that was distressing because I'm thinking that's not my language. That's literally like somebody else's thoughts. That, that is a symptom of schizophrenia, thought insertion. It's like a spiral downward, Gabe, because then I'm like, well, oh, no. <laughs> I'm thinking I have someone else's thoughts inserted into my head. Now I am going crazy. I told my uh, therapist and they were. she was like, yeah, we need to up your meetings with me. <laughs> I was seeing her by twice a month at that time. And she was like, nope, <laughs> we're going to see you uh, every week now. And you're going to give me updates on these thoughts. And I want you to tell me exactly what they were. That helped so much, and it's embarrassing to say, um, but I, I told her, I said, well, this is what it was, and this is what, what happened, and this is how I felt about it, and you know, we kind of start doing coping mechanisms and, and things like that. As I'm as I'm listening to your story, Rachel, uh, the, the the part that strikes me is that you were able to get help. You were able to tell somebody that you were thinking these things and be able to get help for it. Because I, I got to tell you, I don't think the average person would be able to look somebody in the eyes and say, 
hey, I, I was thinking about pushing down a family member and stomping on their head, or I'm having violent thoughts of hurting myself, or, or even I still think the average person would not sit down with a, a therapist, e even a friend or a confidant and say, hey, I keep calling myself a fat pig and I don't understand why. Most people internalize these things because, of course, if they tell somebody, they could get committed right? Hey, I'm having these, these, uh, these, these thoughts of pushing somebody down. Oh, okay. Well that, that's a 72 hour hold. I'm calling the police uh, once again, because of the stigma of schizophrenia, people tend to, to overreact or, or not provide the help that people are needed. I, I, I have to ask Rachel, how were you able to overcome that? I, I don't think there's anybody listening to this who thinks, okay, I'm going to go and ask my loved one if they're thinking about pushing me down and stomping me on the head, right? Like, I don't even know how to broach the subject with somebody that I care about. I wouldn't even know how to tell somebody if I was having that issue. I think this does have to be a complicating factor. And I... I'm not trying to call you out, but you kind of glossed over it. You were like, oh, I was thinking all of these violent, obsessive thoughts, and I was having these intrusive things, and I was thinking about hurting myself and others, and then I just got help. I, how? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in, in, in a way, right? It, I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody asking their loved one if they need help or asking for help themselves. And if I'm the, this uncomfortable just being in the conversation, I can only imagine the monumental task of, of seeking help for this. What I did was I told my therapist. So understand, I was lucky because I was already seeing a therapist that I trust, that I have built that rapport with. I wasn't worried that she was going to freak out. I knew that she would take it seriously, and she did. It was, oh, okay, th this, is, this is not normal for you, Rachel. We need to address this and start meeting more. I was able to get help so easily because of the fact that I was already getting help. And if you haven't started on that journey, I would say, yeah, it, it takes a lot to find someone who you can be open with. Um, that That's a red flag. If someone tells me that they're having urges to hurt other people, I mean, we live in a day and age where that's the kind of thing you need to report. So if you're saying, well, Rachel, should someone report me? If the therapist, when I was telling her those things, had she said, you know what, Rachel, I do feel you are a danger to yourself or others, then yeah, being hospitalized for that time might have been what was the best for me. We can see the double-edged sword in this, right? Where if I ask for help and you have me committed, I'm never going to ask for help again, which of course is going to exacerbate the problem. But if you ask for help and you need a psychiatric commitment and you don't get it, that exacerbates the problem. And of course, really, really bad things can happen. People need to feel comfortable to bring these things up and we don't want to overreact, but we also don't want to underreact. When your loved one comes to you and says this, or when you're sharing this, you may need hospitalization, but you also may not. It's not a one size fits all, but I got to tell you that nuance makes people uncomfortable because most of society believes that the minute somebody with schizophrenia is having an, any thoughts that surround violence in any way, that's an immediate commitment. That's an immediate 911 call. And that's not true. It's hard to admit that about yourself. And, and when I'm talking about this, notice I, I'm very self-aware as, you know, schizophrenia progresses and you might be in a psychotic state, it's harder for you to notice your thoughts, like what is irrational, what's not based in reality. That's when you might begin to act on certain things. And I think that's why it's so important to track your symptoms, to keep up with these things, to know yourself and know, hey, wait a second, my thoughts have changed and, and I, I track mine religiously because of this. It's very easy to, for me to figure out when I'm kind of going into a psychotic episode because there's like subtle changes in the way I think. Um, one of the most noticeable ones is I start talking to myself like in third person. Like I start thinking, okay, Rachel, you need to go do this now. Okay, Rachel, act normal. 
That's always like a red flag for me is if I tell myself to act normal, that usually means, uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not acting normal. Uh, something has started to come loose in my brain. Are, are these intrusive thoughts? I guess that's where I'm getting a little confused. What you're describing sounds very much like the symptoms of schizophrenia that people are very well aware of, but you describe them at the top of the show as, as, as a different symptom altogether. Yes. So intrusive thoughts are normally connected with other disorders, predominantly obsessive compulsive disorder. And this is very important because there's actually a link they found between schizophrenia and obsessive compulsive disorder. Around 30% of people with schizophrenia may also have symptoms of OCD. And your thought might start in your mind as an intrusive thought, and then it slowly becomes a delusional thought. The example of me cutting uh, my face off, unfortunately. I was plagued with the images, and this went on for months un until I started the cuts. And if I were to like lay it out on a timeline, you could see, okay, this is an intrusive thought. It's bothering Rachel. It's becoming more frequent to the point that I start believing it. And now I start the cuts. I think this is a really good point when it comes to schizophrenia is that for certain delusional beliefs, we might be able to stop them before they become delusional. So if you're having intrusive thoughts and you're noticing you're having the same ones over and over, it's been postulated that there is an actual shift where it goes from neurotic to psychotic. In a way, I understand the mechanism and what you're saying. It, it's sort of a slow build. It exists on a spectrum and how it can turn into something worse if untreated. Uh, so in, in that way, I, I, I'm aligned. Um, but but I, I got to tell you, it, it, it's a confusing thing because not being able to control your thoughts is a hallmark of schizophrenia. And in many ways, it sounds like more of the same. Why are they breaking it out into two separate things? Is it just for easy tracking? Is it for early intervention? Is it to understand that there's different mechanisms at work for treatment opportunities? Intrusive thoughts are intrusive, so they bother the person, and the thinking behind it is that with schizophrenia, you're not as bothered by it, which honestly upsets me uh, because I'm very bothered by it, and I think that's misleading, but there's a point in theory that, yes, if I obsess over something, if I have schizophrenia, I'm going to start to believe it, and then I'm going to act upon it. Um, they say that OCD is marked by compulsive behavior, whereas schizophrenia is marked by impulsive behavior, which I, I got to say, I describe my thoughts as being very strong impulses. Like right away when I read that in different articles, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I, I am. It is like to me when I get the thought, it's a very strong impulse to act on it. When I take it away from schizophrenia, an example that I always hear is when you're standing at someplace high and you get that 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 little bit of, hey, I could jump. And then immediately, like, no, no, don't do that. And, and it's, it's described over and over again in pop culture. People talk about it. You're leaning over the edge and you're just like, and you're looking down and you're like, I could jump. But then you immediately know that it's wrong. I, I know there are no perfect analogies, so please, audience, understand it's not exactly the same thing. There's a, there's a much, much different mechanism in schizophrenia. But for an analogy, is that a good example? Absolutely. I think that's perfect um, because I take it to the next level. I mean, I think that's part of the fun of looking down from heights, you know, is that kind of that little bit of fear you have. If you're leaning over a ledge and you're just like, whoa, and, and some people, you know, love that fear. That's just kind of like a fun game, just like roller coasters, being up in the air, being thrown around, like there's a little bit of fun to it. Me personally, I don't like heights and I stay away from ledges because I don't trust myself. That could probably be the good marker between <laughs> an obsessive compulsive thought and a schizophrenia thought. The fact that I don't trust myself. I, I very well might just jump without thinking. To say I don't trust myself over something like that is probably scary, but it's also, I think it's important. And it's me managing my schizophrenia, knowing what are my own boundaries. Stay away from ledges because I might run off the ledge. Um if loved ones are listening out there, I don't want you to be scared. I just want you to kind of 
understand that there's a lot going on in people's heads. And there's stuff going on in everyone's. Everyone has inappropriate thoughts, things you shouldn't think, things that you're going to be ashamed about if you had to tell other people. With schizophrenia, though, it's important to break these thoughts down to help you yourself as a patient understand them, understand why you're having them, because that can help them to not become so distressing to you. Rachel, I know we talked a little bit about how you made them go away, but what does the research show? What are some things that folks can try to help make them go away? Uh, Understanding, of course, that if, if there was a magic cure, this podcast wouldn't be needed because everybody would be doing it. If a pill comes out tomorrow that takes away these thoughts, I will take it, Gabe. Sign me up. I am all about it. But it's, yeah, it's it's not that easy. Yes, sometimes medication can help with these, especially if they're more delusional type thoughts. Different antipsychotics can help with that. Different medications for OCD might also help. That's something you might want to speak to your psychiatrist about. Hey, I have been having these type of intrusive thoughts, and sometimes they can do a medical adjustment, and that could help the problem. The hallmark of treatment is going to be cognitive behavioral therapy, which we've talked about on this show. And there's different ways, there's different styles of that. One is in a controlled setting, a therapist might expose you to your triggers and you learn to react to them. You learn how to think differently or when you have those thoughts to take them out of that setting and make them more manageable. And I hate giving this tip, Gabe. I hate it because it's for every tip for everything in life, (laughs) self-care. You hear that for it's 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 like okay every single thing in life like a tip is self care you know you're not getting enough sleep self care your kids a brat self care but but that comes up a lot self care if I'm not doing well as far as my sleeping uh, my eating mentally I go down so quickly and my thoughts become very odd I I take sleeping pills. I have as-needed sleeping pills, to be clear, and I take them if I haven't slept in two or three days because mentally I'm going to go downhill very, very quickly, and I probably already have, Um, but that's just something I have to be aware of. Rachel, thank you for being so candid. And I, I always have to joke, you're, you're right. Self-care is everywhere, but it, it's simple because it works. And I, I do think that we should pay more attention to it. I, but, but I'm curious, can this go away? Is there a treatment out there that will make these stop 100%? Is that a reasonable goal? It's possible that they could stop. It's possible that a medication change, that you might learn some new therapy, that they could just kind of go away on their own. All of those things are possible, but making them go away might not be the goal because that absolutely might not happen. What should be the goal is managing it, is that you still feel you're in control. So yes, that thought pops up in your head, hey, smash your head into the wall, but no, I'm not going to do that. Kind of acknowledge it like, that was weird, I thought that. That's a beautiful wall. It does not need a hole in it, and my head doesn't need a bump on it. And just kind of go about your day. Rationalize it out in a way. Like, that's the goal is to feel you are in control. Some people use mindful meditation. And I know you hear meditation, you think, at least I always do. I roll my eyes the minute someone tells me to meditate. But it doesn't have to be like, you know, you're sitting there with like jewels and crystals and whatnot. Meditation also can be as simple as you have this intrusive thought that is disturbing you and unusual and you just kind of stop, ground yourself like, okay, let me just practice my breathing. That is also considered meditation. Taking a second and be like, okay, I need to pause. I need to step away from what just happened. Another thing, and this is my go-to for almost any problem in life, Gabe, distraction. <laughs> Distracting yourself. I have so many toys around. I have so many fidgety things, so much stuff. And then, of course, my dog. Animals are great for distractions. They tend to pull you out of your mind if you just like pet and play with a little animal. A lot of these things are can help you not be so bothered by the thoughts. Externalizing the thought is important. Talking to someone about it, that takes away a lot of the power. I didn't like telling my counselor those things about me. When I, when I did, I was crying because I was so ashamed to admit those things. But when I did, I felt so much better. 
And by like the third time we had to talk about the thoughts in a session, I was like, okay, so I had this, 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 and this, and this. And I'm like listing them out like it's nothing, kind of like I am on this show, because I got so used to talking about them. And they almost kind of come off as ridiculous. I, I would never hurt my loved one. Gabe, you've met most of my family. I am very protective of them. And we get along great. So the idea that I would hurt anyone like that is... It's just, it's not going to happen. It's extraordinarily out of character, which I I have to imagine adds to the scariness of it. But a reframing it also comes off as silly. Because you're like, well, Rachel would never do that. That's almost like, no, she wouldn't do that. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to jump off that ledge. Like, what? What? No, that's a long way down. (laughs) That would end well. I'm not a superhero. (laughs) That's, no. I, I do believe that making them... Silly kind of helps. It does take the sting out. However, I don't want to say that we're not taking them seriously. It is still, these are very serious thoughts, but it's ways to learn to manage them. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back discussing disturbing, unusual, intrusive thoughts in schizophrenia. Rachel, thank you so much for for sharing your experience and, of course, the hints and tips that you learned along the way. Uh, but in order to fill out this episode, we wanted to have a mental health professional come on and uh, share things from a more medical perspective. And we're very, very fortunate to have Cassie Love. Uh, Cassie's a marriage and family therapist, and she uses cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and meditation and mindfulness practices to help people with unusual thought patterns, including people with schizophrenia who have the same concerns that we've been covering in this episode. So let's go ahead and roll that interview now. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with marriage and family therapist, Cassie Love. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Rachel. It's great to be on the show. What attracted you to working in the mental health field? So honestly, it's kind of a second career for me. Um, I say my first one was really raising my, my young. I have three young kids. And then I have a degree in public health and did some grant writing type work. And um, I have an older sister who's really open about struggles with postpartum depression. So when she got in this place where she uh, was not functioning very well, I was helping support her. Um, through it and, you know, giving her coping strategies and ideas. And then one day she said, um, you know, a lot of the things that you say to me, um, my therapist has the exact same ideas. Have you ever thought about being a therapist? And I said, I would love to be a therapist. (laughs) I went back to school and, you know, here I am. Awesome. Now, During your therapy, you have also branched out from just depression and family to working with people with schizophrenia, bipolar, and other serious mental disorders. What attracts you to working with severe mental disorders? So when I did um, my training work, I have a specialized degree in medical family therapy. My training experience occurred, I live in the Atlanta, Georgia area at Emory University in a primary care like family medicine clinic. 
and people with more severe and persistent mental illnesses kind of more frequent flyers of primary care and often maybe use those resources um, to support their mental health. Um, so that was my exposure to it. And luckily, I had the support resources of being plugged in with psychiatry. I was able to be on the floor right away and talk with a person's primary care physician, um, you know, psychologist on staff. So it was a great and supportive experience to get all of that skill set, whereas therapists may not always have those opportunities or skill sets. So to be honest, that it just clicked well. I enjoyed doing that type of therapy. I knew right away there was a need for therapists in private practice settings to serve individuals who have these experiences and their families, because I was actively trying to work to plug people in. And I I realized there was this misconception going on that, oh, those types of people are served when they're inpatient or when they're in hospitals or facilities. Um, But the whole segment of people they were functioning and trying to get support around that and their families trying to get support before all of those other things that we don't want happen, like inpatient treatment and things that we'd like to prevent. There just wasn't enough resources serving that. Thank you very much. We recently did an episode on stigma, even in the medical community, and how hard it is for people with schizophrenia to even find therapists that so often we're actually turned away from basic therapy because the therapists, like you said, they they don't feel they have the skill set, mm-hmm. leaving us the only option, psychiatrists and psychologists, which a lot of times don't work on coping skills. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for noticing that that is a very big need in the mental health community. Right, right. And I don't feel like in the realm of psychotherapy that therapists necessarily want to shut out serving people with this realm of unusual thoughts or experiences. I think there's a lack of training opportunities. If you feel like you want to work with higher need, but you don't know what are the resources out there to learn and understand and be supported, I think it's a big barrier, honestly, um, for therapy and to kind of open the door for more people to do this type of work. What exactly are intrusive thoughts? So I would categorize intrusive thoughts in that realm of unusual thoughts or experiences. Um, I have some clients that come to me that use the term psychosis. Um, If you want to use that term and identify with it. That's fine. I use unusual thoughts or experiences typically, or I had a client and I told the client, I'm going to steal that one, describe it as extra thoughts or experiences. Okay. So I would categorize intrusive thoughts as thoughts that um, an individual identifies with as not wanting and feeling like they don't want to be present. And sometimes in the realm of unusual thoughts or experiences, um, I think individuals would identify some of those as intrusive, but not all of them. People who had extra thoughts and experiences, unusual ones, um, I recognize that not all of them feel intrusive to individuals. And I think with schizophrenia, that that's where it gets difficult if you're talking about symptoms because I'm even I I'm like what's the difference between an intrusive thought and a delusional thought or a command thought mm-hmm. hearing voices is that does that fall under thoughts um and and I think even if it's confusing for for a lot of the medical community being someone with schizophrenia it's very confusing I it's like hard to even say what do I classify this thought as right auditory hallucinations, for example, there can be some conflicting literature out there on does an auditory hallucination have to appear as an external type sound? Mm -hmm. Um, Or can that be identified as a sound coming from within a person's mind? And um, as a clinician, I'll say sometimes it can be hard to piece out what someone identifies as an auditory hallucination 
or a delusion, an unusual thought. And it does seem like they kind of get mixed together. So it's not as clearly defined um, as we'd like it to be just for diagnostic purposes. So it does make it a challenge. But yeah, the idea of the intrusive thought, I would personally say in working with this client population that those seem um, like some of the most distressing of the thoughts that an individual has and cause some of the most anxiety and depressed mood and is where the coping skills work, uh, you know, really comes in best use. And I think the command type thoughts may be, you know, I often hear of those as feeling most intrusive. And one of the reasons, um, you know, I, I put that spectrum out there that maybe all of them don't feel intrusive is one thing I see um, in working with this client population is that sometimes people have had these thoughts for a very long time. They feel like part of their identity um, and maybe get a sense of comfort from having some of these thoughts around. Um, so that can be a grieving process for clients. They're trying to grapple with, well, this is something I've known for a very long time. It's something I identify with and get a source of comfort from. So there's lots of uh, nuances in there, lots of emotions and lots of different realities for people. So let's say you have a client come to you who has schizophrenia and they're very bothered by strange, unusual thoughts. How do you start that treatment? Some of the um, first things I do is assess where you are, your treatment, um, what types of therapies and things like that have you had before. Um, And I think psychoeducation, giving people that opportunity around understanding what schizophrenia can be like for many people, what are the symptoms, what is the range of symptoms. It's just important for people to have access to the information. That way they can make the best decisions about what feels like it fits well for them as a person. Family therapy is really a gold standard for schizophrenia spectrum. So to whatever extent it's appropriate for the client and their comfort, I invite family and support the family um, as the client wants. And so that's where I start is like the psychoeducation piece. And in that includes a discussion about the uh, range of medications, how they can be helpful, and honestly, a discussion about um, a lot of these medications have some serious side effects to grapple with. Because I think that's a reality if you're going in um, to just kind of anticipate and understand that's something that will be working on coping skills around the medication and the side effects and how you can be your best functioning self, recognizing that, yes, the medications can be helpful for like toning down the volume of some of the thoughts and experiences, but there might be some other things that we have to do and help you in functioning with tiredness or or, uh, work functioning, things like that. Um, And if they're experiencing a lot of distress around the thoughts and experiences at that moment and when they present, then we go straight into what are coping skills that you can use in the moment. Um, And by doing that, you know, hopefully we're toning down some of the anxiety that tends to present. Because uh, it's this loop, being anxious and having depressed mood and um, feeds into those unusual thoughts and experiences. And the more of those you have, the more it feeds in back into the anxiety, depression. Can you give me an example of a coping skill for having intrusive thoughts? Say you're a person that has maybe a lot of anxiety that you feel like presents when you have more of these unusual thoughts experiences. I like to help clients put scales together, so rating scales. For example, um, we'll do anxiety, depression on a zero to three, with a zero being what feels average for you. Sometimes people use the word normal. And then we talk about what are the behaviors. If you're feeling average and not very anxious or depressed, 
Um, what does that look like for you? What would you be doing? And I start there, the behaviors, instead of saying, like, what are you thinking um, when you're not anxious? Because behaviors are easier to notice for people and easier to measure. And they're also easier for others, like family, to give you feedback on because they don't necessarily know what you're thinking, but they know what you're doing. So if you think, well, when I feel average better, um, not so anxious, maybe I notice I'm taking more walks. Um, I don't feel like I'm arguing as much, um, you know, with family members or I'm participating in more family events, or I notice that I go to church more often on the weekends. So we talk about that. And then we talk about, okay, when I'm more anxious, feeling really bad, what am I doing? I'm staying in bed for a lot of hours, sleeping more than normal. And then I also do that rating scale underneath that zero to three for unusual thoughts, experiences, extra thoughts. So a zero um, for a lot of people, the reality, it's not going to be I'm not having any of those thoughts or experiences. It might be I'm having them, um, but I feel like I'm functioning well. I feel like I'm noticing them and then I can still work. I can still participate. So at the opposite end of that scale is, okay, when you feel like those thoughts and experiences are out of control for you, maybe they feel very intrusive, you you can't help but notice them, what does that look like? When you said the zero to three scale, but zero didn't mean having no thoughts, zero meant you're functioning well with the thoughts. I thought that was a very important um, point there. Thank you very much for saying that. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I talk to clients and their families that too, about leveling expectations about medication use. So then we talk about the coping skills and the idea is to work in sessions on, okay, what is a one and two for you? What are the behaviors that are kind of warning signs that you're starting to get more anxious or that those thoughts and experiences are starting to increase for you? And in doing that, in figuring out what your warning signs are, that maybe you're headed in a direction you don't feel is best for you. Um, we pair that with, okay, this is the time to use your coping skills. So say when I'm, I'm starting to notice I'm getting more anxious, well, then I'm going to exercise a little bit more. On my lunch break, if I'm working virtually at home, that's when I'm going to commit, you know, this week, um, I'm going to walk outside for 10 minutes on my lunch break because I'm noticing I'm getting more anxious. Or I'm noticing these thoughts are, you know, increasing more often. And a lot of the same coping skills to decrease, you know, being anxious or depressed also end up being the ones that are effective for the thoughts. Because like I mentioned, it's often this feedback loop where um, having those feelings around your mood and anxiety feeds into those experiences. For our listeners um, who have schizophrenia, a lot of times we have thoughts that frighten us, thoughts that we don't want to share because we're afraid that people will think bad of us. We might be ashamed about those thoughts. What's your advice for how can we start to get help? A lot of us, we don't want to say, hey, we're having thoughts about hurting ourselves or others. We're we're afraid we're going to get like locked up or that the doctor's immediately going to call the police. Right. What's your advice on how do we start to get help for that? Right. Um, And that's a reality, right? I recognize that as a clinician. The idea of self-harm, suicidality, that's a reality too um, when you have schizophrenia. No, it does not mean that most people with schizophrenia have this, but it does occur at higher rates, unfortunately. Um, So there are therapists out there that are skilled in um, working in more self-harm, suicidality type behaviors, and that could have um, probably better resources and coping techniques. The idea is how can we support you to do your best functioning here without a higher level of care if it's not needed. And I think one of the real most important things I've getting in therapy and with a therapist 
is, and this would go for just anyone, um, be with someone that you feel good initially in session, someone that you think is compassionate, understanding, um, you know, gets you. And of course, if it could be someone that has some experience in the idea of unusual thoughts, if you call it psychosis, that would be wonderful. How can our listeners learn more about you, therapist Cassie Love? I'm pretty easy. So my name's Cassie Love. That's K-A-S-S-I-E and then L-O-V-E. And so it's CassieLove.com. Um, I'm always happy to provide like resources around treatment, um, even if that's not with me. I practice in the state of Georgia because uh, I, I do think it's a really important need for individuals and their families. Thank you so much for working in this area and working with people like me with schizophrenia and other serious mental disorders. Um, It is very much in need. And thank you for stepping up and thank you for inspiring others to do the same. Right. And I want to thank you for this podcast and this information. I think the more that's out there that just normalizes and shares and contributes to the idea Right. We still grapple with that stigma that oh, people with schizophrenia are treated in hospitals or in specific types of facilities. And, oh, they're not well functioning. Yeah, that is just a stigma that is far from reality. Yes, it is a reality for some. Um, and I, I really focus on recovery oriented care. What are your goals? And how can we help you accomplish that while we're using the coping skills? you shedding light on the fact that, hey, these experiences um, do happen, um, but it doesn't mean you can't be functioning. It doesn't mean there aren't resources out there for you to grow and thrive. Awesome. That is so true. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Cassie. It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, this was great. Rachel, as always, great job. As I was listening to the interview, I remember the client who described them as, quote, extra thoughts, unquote. How did that hit you? Do you like it being described that way? I love that. And partly because we're so used to schizophrenia having positive and negative symptoms, meaning positive is stuff that's added on, hallucinations, delusions, negative meaning thought disorder, deficits and whatnot. So the idea of extra thoughts, like that fits perfectly to me. If I have schizophrenia, of course, I'm going to have these extra thoughts, just like my hallucinations and things that's just added on. I kind of like it because it's also, that's like a non-scary way to talk about it. Did you have any extra thoughts? Did you have any thoughts that were like out of the ordinary added on with your schizophrenia this week? And I like that. Rachel, obviously you've had your own experiences in in handling this. What were your general takeaways from the interview? Did you learn anything new? Was, Was there anything that struck you as odd? When I asked her how she would start the therapy when you're dealing with these types of situations, I loved that she said she starts with education, with the psychoeducation. Okay, before we can even treat something, you need to understand what's happening. I wish so many times when I saw psychiatrists, psychologists in the past that they would have educated me. Um, A lot of times they just listen and kind of like they're writing on their little notepad and they're checking boxes. Then they prescribe medication and it's like, all right, goodbye. And, And they don't actually talk to me and they don't say, hey, you're having this hallucination. What this is, is a you're hearing voices. You're hearing, you know, this is a normal part of schizophrenia. Education is so important. And just like this show, talking about the fact that, yes, people have these intrusive thoughts. It's a normal part of life. And there's a point where they can become a problem. And just saying those things takes a huge burden off the person who's experiencing them. Now that I understand what it is that I'm up against, it's a lot easier to to treat it. When she said that the family needs to be involved, is she gets the family involved if possible um, early on. If if this was like Rachel could rule the world, um, and they said Rachel, how would you every new person diagnosed with schizophrenia? How how would you deal with that? I think that should be the answer is education, and if possible, getting the family, the loved ones in, 
and educating them, being very clear, this is what's happening. This is what you need to look for. This is what's a symptom of schizophrenia, so you know. And that's how you like manage it together as a family. Rachel, it's no surprise to me that that you really relate to education. You've made an entire career and an entire podcast giving people the information that they need to make reasonable and better choices about their care and their loved one's care. It's very reassuring when the therapist, Cassie Love, talked about the different scales and she had a zero to three scale about whether you're having certain anxiety, whether you're having thoughts, hallucinations, delusions. And if you were to pose that scale to me, I would assume zero meant none. (laughs) I'm having zero delusions. And what she said, though, was that zero just meant you were functioning well. Zero meant, yeah, you're still having those things, but you're managing them, changing what we consider normal. For the most part, I would think normal is not having these horrible thoughts pop into my head. But having the diagnosis of schizophrenia, I need to learn the norm is not not having hallucinations and delusions. The norm for me is managing my schizophrenia, managing my hallucinations, my delusions, my thought problems, all of that, managing them well and still functioning in society. That is my new norm. And obviously that's easier said than done. I don't want anybody to hear that it's simple, but it's a worthy goal. It's a hard goal. It's a difficult goal, but it is a worthy goal that we all should be striving for. In this episode, I've spoken very frank about the disturbing thoughts that I have. I'm ashamed that I have them. I feel like that makes me a horrible person. The thoughts scare me, admitting that I have them is scary. I fear how my therapist will react, how people around me would react if they actually knew the specific content, how graphic they could be. And I I don't know if it makes it better or worse that I have no control over them. Because <laughs> um, that's a scary thought also that, wait, I don't have control over these horrifying graphic things that pop into my head. Am I dangerous for having these thoughts? No. No, I'm not. Being real about what's going on inside of my head is how you learn to deal with them. If you're struggling with having disturbing, obsessive, unusual, intrusive, delusional thoughts, get help. Talk to someone. See a therapist. See a medical professional. You are not a horrible, dangerous person. Everyone has inappropriate thoughts at times. And you are someone who is dealing with a serious mental disorder. Of course, you're going to have extra thoughts. It's not ideal, but it is okay. We just have to find ways to manage our schizophrenia and manage these thoughts. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inside Schizophrenia. Please like, share, subscribe, and rate our podcast. And we'll see you next time here on Inside Schizophrenia, a Healthline Media podcast. You've been listening to Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast from Psych Central and Healthline Media. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash IS or on your favorite podcast player. Your host, Rachel Starr Withers, can be found online at rachelstarlive.com. Co-host, Gabe Howard, can be found online at gabehoward.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.